Good morning and welcome to another episode of CCT Live, the Cape Cod Times live Facebook news broadcast brought to you every Thursday at 9 a.m. Uh, I'm news editor Patrick Cassidy. I'm joined today again by Marianne Bragg, a uh, reporter who covers the towns of East Ham, Wellfleet, Truro, as well as the National Seashore, the Cape Cod National Seashore. You also cover whales for the paper and recently you've been uh, diving in, uh, we may say, in the coverage of the shark beat, oh, yeah. uh, including our continued coverage of the attack by a great white shark off of uh, Truro uh, last w- month. Uh, and we'll talk more about the town's reaction to that uh, and some questions about communications at the time. We'll talk about a, also a long-awaited uh, housing project in East Ham, uh, a seal die-off in Maine that has reached Massachusetts shores but hasn't gotten to the Cape yet, uh, and higher fines for poachers, uh, poachers of fish, uh, if you will. Um, we'll then take a brief look uh, ahead at the coming general election now that we've got Tuesday's primary uh, behind us, and we'll look at what happened there and what the landscape looks like. You can take a look back at our past episodes episodes at kipcottimes.com slash live and follow along at home uh, at kipcottimes.com and on all our social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, lots to talk about, as always. Uh, Marianne, a perennial issue uh, here on the Cape and certainly the Outer Cape uh, in particular and the Lower Cape in particular, uh, housing. Uh, you have a story in today's paper about a housing project in East Ham. Right, in the- right. So East Ham is they're super interesting because they have, as it turns out, like almost no apartment buildings, apartments at all in the entire town, like rental apartments. And one of the statistics that I found, which was I thought was pretty interesting, is that 95% of their housing inventory is single-family homes. And so they have a problem with really attracting and be, being able to keep younger young adults in particular. Uh, so they have really two big housing projects coming up that they've been working on for a couple of years. The most, the one that I wrote about today, it's a 65-unit uh, housing project. It's going to be in Northeast Ham, and um, uh, what was I going to say? And it's particularly uh, designed for uh, part of a revitalization of Northeast Ham, where they're looking at um, more housing, more economic activity. They're hoping to actually dampen the traffic and slow down traffic in that area and do some other things that make it more of a village. But this is a really important um, first step for um, for the housing. And so. East Ham, if, if everybody knows East Ham, a lot of times, I mean, there's parts of East Ham that are off Route 6. But as you mentioned, it's kind of like you drive through and you don't see a lot of big buildings or apartments or anything like that. Obviously, from what you said, this is a 10-acre property. Um, and they're putting these this here. This has taken a lot of kind of planning to get to this stage. Um, there, what was it? Negotiations began back in 2016 with the developer, right. um, and then it also had to do with even having uh, kind of infrastructure in place, like the municipal water system, right? Right. Like the town had the property since 2001, but I think they had uh, difficulty attracting a developer until they were able to get the. Uh, municipal public water system, drinking water into that area that allows for more dense development. Yeah. So, and I think a lot of people uh, forget how, in many ways, rural Cape Cod is in, in a lot of places. Right. So we don't have literally a, a municipal drinking water system in East Ham until recently. Right. Now they're expanding it further, but um, that was really seemed like a critical thing in terms of turning the housing piece around. 
And uh, and they also got uh, some money from uh, the state, uh, $10 million over 10 years in, right. in income uh, housing tax credits. So not right. direct money, but but tax credits and, and another $875,000 from the state for five years. Uh, that was a federal one, the $10 million over 10 years. Right. Um, and so then it's also a regional. Project. Yeah, right. I mean, the company that's developing it and that will operate it, they're based in Philadelphia. And I think this will be their first Massachusetts um, housing project, but it's a $23 million construction. They've gotten federal uh, tax credits and also the towns of, uh, in addition to East Ham contributing Community Preservation Act money, the towns of Wellfleet and Orleans, which are the neighboring abutting towns, have also um, put Community Preservation Act money in because the housing really they might want to provide it mostly for East Ham residents, but they can't really do that legally. So and, they're expecting some some contribution, yeah. and and also obviously uh, folks who may work in Wellfleet or Orleans may live in East Ham and vice versa. Yeah. So it all kind of connects out there in the yeah. in the Lower it's, Cape area. Yeah, it's super exciting, really. And they're expected to begin construction uh, later this month. You right. Wrote, right. Yep. Um, and the other the other project, real quick, that uh, they're working on. What's that uh, about? So this is more noticeable if you ever drive through North East Ham is that used to be this old golf driving range. And that's also slated for another big housing project. It's in um, kind of a, an appeals process in Boston. But uh, the town, man, town administrator said that it is, uh, looks like it's going to work out. It might be around 80 units also. So that's really it's a substantial that is a amount lot. of, of right. units and between those two projects. They've also been careful not to have big apartment complexes. That was the one of the problems with the golf driving range They'd development. Scale it down right. basically is what right. they needed to do to make sure it wasn't uh, out of character and, and people right. were are always worried about that. Um, doesn't seem like you can go forward with a project without having some concerns and it's whether or not you can meet those concerns or alleviate them enough. Um, another uh, story uh, in, in this week's paper, uh, Doug Frazier had written about a, a seal die off that actually has been noted in Maine and, and has reached down to the shores of Massachusetts uh, this summer. Uh, about 462 seals uh, had, had uh, washed up dead or had been dead after Stranding is a strange thing to say for seals sometimes because they come ashore, you know, to to yeah. do whatever they have uh, rookeries or not rookeries, but places where they gather. Um, one of those places being Monomoy off Chatham, a large number of seals there. Um, but I guess you read the story. What what are they saying about what the issue is here with these seals that are dying and none have been seen yet here on Cape, on Cape Cod. Cod? Right. So it was six hundred that for the months of July and August, basically. 600 had stranded in a way that uh, harbor seals and gray seals that scientists were worried about. Of that 600, 462 mm -hmm. were dead. So they took a small sampling, um, tested it in a laboratory, and came up with um, a finding that it's related to two viruses. One is the bird flu, and one is distemper. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess they're different reasons for why those two might occur but that at least is kind of i think given them an idea in terms of what and, and i don't know what the solution is but well that i think some people look at it and say the it, it's natural control or biological control of like the population because you have a large population and both those in particular i think scientists had said uh could be related to uh dense populations whether mm -hmm. it's uh the the um 
uh, bird flu, as you said, or the distemper. Um, the distemper in particular, I think, pops up when you have uh, a lot of uh, dense population and, and the bird flu can be easily passed through close contact mm-hmm. um, in the seals. Distemper reminds me of dogs in some respects, and you hear about it with skunks or, or I think yeah. uh, coyotes and things like that. Um, and it does seem to pop up when you have higher populations. And then, you know, as the populations drop off, it tends to be alleviated. I think the last distemper outbreak they said was seven years ago in the seal population. Um, but obviously here on the Cape, we have a lot of seals. Um, and I think they're, they were saying 50,000 or so in the, the Monomoy area yeah. or around the Cape. Um, so the question is whether or not that's going to come down this way. Some people, and we'll get to more on sharks later, um, we all know that the sharks have come here for food for the seals. Some mm-hmm. people may look at that and say, fewer seals, maybe you'll have fewer sharks. I don't know, 50,000, it would be a lot to knock back where the sharks wouldn't, wouldn't be coming. And now that they're starting to eat uh, striped bass on the bay, they some of yeah. the younger sharks have found another food source and, and maybe coming back for that as well. Um, but but again, this has been declared an unusual mortality event. Yeah. You've had experience reporting yeah. on that through whales. Right. What, what does that mean? Um, so last week, the federal government declared an unusual mortality event. You see the initials U-M-E. Um, uh, in the documentation, but basically it uh, releases more money to do a more immediate response in terms of research or responding to those particular events. So um, right now there's all, there's an unusual mortality event in effect for both right whales and humpback whales as well. So, And, and again, with those species, the right whales in particular, uh, the concern is there's very few of those around. Obviously seals, there's a large number of seals um, I think scientists also look at this and say, we're not only looking to put money and resources towards this to figure out what's going on because of any concern for the seal population, um, but also because these are diseases that you know may move from population to population and you want to kind of get a, a oh, grip right. on what's happening there no matter what, even if you're not you know, again, worried about, you know, seals becoming extinct like they are worried about uh, mm-hmm. right whales. Uh, it's still something where the more information they say, the better. So we'll, we'll track that. And certainly if uh, it makes it to Cape Cod, we'll be uh, keeping an eye on it. Um, I mentioned uh, striped bass and, and uh, full transparency. This is a, a story uh, n- near to me. I'm a, uh, somebody who likes to get out and uh, cast a line in the water and, and catch a fish or two, uh, usually uh, too small to keep. And so I release them. Um, but there have been a lot of fish being caught on the Cape Cod Canal in particular this summer, and a lot of concerns have been raised uh, um, by uh, environmental police who have been out there issuing citations, um, and in some cases, I think, taking equipment and even making arrests in some cases, um, having to do with poaching. Um, And they're saying that this large number of uh, striped bass in the canal, it's easy to get to. A lot of people can get there. Um, and some people are going and taking more than their fair share of fish. You can keep one uh, fish a day of 28 inches or more as a recreational fisherman. Um, they say some people are keeping, you know, six fish, more fish uh, each day of, of, of that size or more, or keeping fish that are under 28 inches mm-hmm. or uh, high grading, which is a, a process where they catch one fish. Um, they think it's a pretty good sized fish. They put it aside on the rocks. They catch another fish that's bigger. They take that fish that was sitting on the rocks and is likely dying or dead at that point and they throw it back and so that's high grading and that's something that uh that it's also not legal um and so 
new uh, non-criminal fishing fines uh, have been instituted based on the, an environmental bond bill that was passed in August. Um, the fine used to be $50 for a non-criminal citation for, for one of those actions. Um, and what they said was for a good-sized striped bass, you can get $100. Mm-hmm. So $50 as a fine is really nothing. Um, and so that's been bumped up to $100. $200 or $400. And environmental police who uh, reporter Ethan uh, Genter uh, talked to, or actually the, the folks with um, DMF, the Division of Marine Fisheries, said that environmental police also have the ability to add another $10 per fish. So mm-hmm. once you start yeah. catching a lot of fish, uh, that can add up. Um, so it, it'll be interesting. There are criminal violations that can be instituted as well. And that kind of was a higher level of violation. And those can run from $400 to $10,000 um, and up to two and a half years in prison. The attorney general can also now seek uh, this $10,000 civil suit as well. Folks are hoping that this will maybe dampen uh, some of the poaching that goes on. Obviously, anytime you have, you know, kind of these rules in place, they're there for a reason. Uh, I know uh, Ethan talked to environmental police, uh, Major uh, Patrick Moran, who said, you know, he doesn't put these people who are doing this poaching in the same category as recreational or commercial fishermen who are out there, have their licenses, are playing by the rules. He says these are people who are just not playing by the rules and they should be treated obviously differently and, and taken, you know, uh, for what they are, which is somebody who's breaking the law basically. So, uh, again, obviously in individual cases, all always allegations in these cases, but, uh, again, I think people are hoping that these increased fines will, uh, help, uh, keep this poaching to a minimum. But this is for the fit people who stand on the shore and fish, right? Exactly. Not- in the canal, which is up, uh, owned, owned and run by the uh, Army Corps of Engineers, you can't take a boat in, in the canal. And fish. Uh, exactly. Okay. You, you can take a boat through the canal, obviously, okay. but you can't take a boat in the canal and fish from a boat. Um, but okay. but it is a place. As you cross over the bridges every day. There's the two roads on either side. That's very easily accessible in mm-hmm. a lot of places. And again, this summer in particular, it's been very hot. There's been a lot of big fish in there, and a lot of people have been going down there. A lot of people have probably been doing the right thing, you know, either catching and releasing or, or keeping their one fish a day. Mm-hmm. But I think the environmental police issued 50 citations in one week. Uh, and, and Moran said that, you know, it goes on all, you know, day at night. Yeah. And they just don't have the resources to be out there all the time. So when they catch people, they want to make sure that the fines actually mean something. And uh, a lot of these people just consider it the cost of doing business when they pay a fine like this and and they go on. So I won't harp on it too much because, again, uh, I have to, again, be transparent. Uh, I do have some bias here. It does boil my blood that uh, some folks are out there uh, not playing by the rules. Um, Another big story having to do with a much bigger fish uh, type of fish. Uh, Obviously, (laughs) sharks uh, are always a big story here on the Cape. Uh, And we had the shark uh, bite on a New York man last uh, month. Uh, And uh, you did some follow-up reporting this week about some discussions between the town and and the state's shark expert. What what were they talking about? Let's see. First of all, I just wanted to say I don't think we yet know how big the shark was. Yes, That's true. still to, still to be determined by um, the state uh, shark expert Greg Scomel. Based but he, on, he did confirm that it was a great white based yeah. on the tooth. It's just the size. Right. Of we it. still don't It'd know. Be a small. Big. <laughs> wouldn't matter to me. Small shark, big shark. If it if it took a bite out of me. But yes, you're right. Absolutely. Uh, but at the invitation of the Truro Select Board, uh, Greg Scomel visited them at town hall last week, and he 
kind of talked, well, he talked about a lot of things shark-related. But near the end, one of the selectmen had asked what the town should do, in his opinion, in Mr. Scomel's opinion, in terms of responding to the shark attack from August 15th. Um, so probably the first thing that came out of his mouth was related to the communication facilities on the Outer Cape, particularly at Long Nook Beach in Truro, where the man was bitten. But um, anybody who's done spent any time on the Outer Cape, uh, the seashore beaches, particularly the, the easternmost beaches, it's really impossible to have get any kind of cell phone service at all. So, um, and that's what happened when the man was bitten. He was laying there on the beach. There are many people on the beach trying to help him, stopping him from bleeding and so on, but no one could get a cell phone um, call through to call 911. So instead, people had to run like 300 yards. I don't know how far that is, but it seems long. Three football fields. <laughs> it seems like a long ways away. Yeah. Then up a really steep, steep sandy dune up to get up to the beach parking lot to make a cell phone call to call uh, Truro Rescue. Um, so, and actually the police did confirm that the first phone call, it was at like at 4.10 in the afternoon, did come from a 911 call at the parking lot. Mm. But, uh, so anyway, um, Mr. Scomel kind of, I felt like he emphasized the Truro town officials they need to consider communication, better communication. There's a lot of different types. It's, it's almost like everybody doubles up out there. The seashore lifeguards, they have their own cell phones, they have satellite phones, and they have radio. Same thing in Wellfleet. <clears throat> they have radios. The lifeguards have radios and walkie-talkies. In Truro, first of all, the beach, that particular beach didn't have a lifeguard, but as I learned um, this week, the parking lot attendants do have radios, mm -hmm. but... And it's standard that it wouldn't have a lifeguard. It's not like right. it just, they right. forgot to staff it or anything. It's just not staffed on a regular basis, right. as a lot of beaches are, right. and now a lot more beaches are at this time of year. So you, you really right. have to rely on, again, getting communication to the outside if something happens. Right, right. So, um, so there was a radio there, but maybe they had just gotten, the park, parking lot attendants had just... Got day. yeah, just left for the day. Um, so anyway, uh, I forget what I was going to say. But. Well, you were talking about the different <laughs> ways, certainly that people yeah. can oh, right. uh, have of oh, right. getting in touch, and then there were some yeah. ideas about how to fix the problem. Um, which, which again, to to I guess lay the landscape, the Cape, as everybody knows, and I know the radio stations have this issue as well. The cell phone companies have this issue, where if you're in the mainland. You have a cell tower. It has a circular area that it covers, mm -hmm. and you overlap those circular areas to make sure that you have mm -hmm. coverage, repeaters, all that. On the Cape, if you put you know, cell towers along the coast, and I know there are issues where even in the seashore and in those areas, not everybody's looking to have a cell tower. It's one of these things that people raise concerns about uh, in, in normal right. circumstances. <laughs> but if you put those near the shore... A lot of your coverage is going to be out in the water, and uh, I think you know the folks from WCI are fond of saying that fish don't listen to the radio or something like that. So you you know what what do you, what's that coverage doing? Um, but those are the edges along the beach where you want to have yeah. this coverage. So a cell phone tower may be difficult to to install. Satellite satellite phones um, was seems to be that seems to be a, a good idea. Radios and and having more mm -hmm. of those in place. 
Um, and then uh, there was a somebody who said, uh, you know, what about a just a phone booth? <laughs> I mean, going back to the old days of the blue phone booth, or maybe you can make it red like in London and make it fancy <laughs> like that. But I mean, I like the, that. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a nice idea. Again, what so what you how do you run the line? All that sort of stuff. There's a lot of logistics that they have to work out. Um, and obviously, this is part of the bigger picture of you know trying to prevent uh you know a, a shark attacks on people or shark bites on people and also uh you know trying to figure out ways that once it happens this guy was lucky because there were some people with some medical experience there yeah, who totally. were able to react and, yeah. and help him so we'll be following that going forward you'll be uh following our uh, reporter doug frazier who uh, covers a lot to do with sharks yeah. will be following it um uh, very quickly, uh, a look back and a look forward. We just got through the Tuesday's primaries, and we have a lot of that coverage in, in the paper, um, uh, specifically by political reporter Jeff Splain, but other people jumped in on Tuesday night to cover those primaries and get the results uh, into the paper. CapeCodTimes.com slash politics uh, slash election results is another area. Um, the, the winners, just locally real quick, uh, Representative uh, Randy Hunt, uh, beat out uh, Barnstable County Commissioner uh, Ron Beatty for the 5th Barnstable. Um, we had uh, the 9th Congressional, which was William Keating, uh, who's the incumbent, had beat out uh, Bill Sombrello, uh, who was who was running against him for the Democratic side of things. Uh, Keating will go on to face uh, Peter Tedeschi, a well-known businessman. Uh, Hunt is going to go on to face Jack Stanton, uh, kind of a newcomer. And then uh, we had uh, in uh, the 1st Barnstable, um, and Brewster really became the, the deciding town here, if you will. Uh, and that was too close to cause of our press time, but we got it in pretty soon thereafter. Uh, Steve uh, Leibowitz uh, beat out Joshua Mason. And again, it was waiting for Brewster to come in, which is Leibowitz's hometown. He'll go up against uh, state representative Timothy Whalen, uh, Republican. And it's also uh, Whalen's hometown. So if Brewster's the deciding factor, it's wow. going to be uh, really <clears throat> a tight race there from, from the sounds of it. Um, and then the Plymouth and Barnstable uh, Democratic uh, uh, primary was between uh, Stephen Michael Palmer and Deborah Rudolph. They're both from Plymouth, but parts of that district uh, overlap onto the Cape, and it's currently represented by State Senator uh, Vinnie DiMacito. Um, and Deborah Rudolph uh, took that race and will go up against DiMacito, who's the Republican incumbent. Um, we have lots more coverage uh, in uh, the paper, including a story in today's paper by Jeff. Uh, that's kind of a wrap up and a look forward in terms of the general election and who will be facing who. So uh, definitely check that out. Um, thanks a lot for uh, watching. Thank you, Marianne, as always. Thank you for asking me. No, my pleasure. Um, and uh, you can uh, certainly check uh, out past episodes at KipCutTimes.com slash Live. Tell your friends, share the link uh, where, where news starts on uh, Cape Cod. Uh, thank you again, and good morning and good luck. Bye.